Hey everyone, welcome back to the Live with Rachel podcast. I'm Rachel and today we're going to be continuing studying through the book of Romans. And in particular today, we'll be reading through Romans chapter 9, verses 19 to 29. So to recap, we just finished Romans 8. And for context, the author, the Apostle Paul, was considered to be a traitor to his people. We covered this already, but he was a Jew who ministered to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were a group of people who were often seen as pagans because they weren't Jewish and they didn't know or worship the true God. And During this time, a whole lot of Jewish people took a lot of pride in their cultural and religious heritage, and they were often called unclean or that they were dogs and that they were people to be avoided. So other than ministering to these people, Paul also taught them that there was freedom from the law of Moses, which caused a lot of trouble in the Jewish circles. And because of this, the Jewish people will often question Paul's reputation. And in the last two episodes, we have been reading about Paul's great love for the nation of Israel and how he actually has a big desire for their well-being. And he actually starts defending God's character by showing them that Israel's past actually magnifies the attributes of God. And so far, out of all of God's attributes, we have already looked at God's faithfulness and we also looked at God's righteousness in the last episode. And in today's episode, we'll be looking at God's justice. So let's get right into it by reading Romans chapter 9 verses 19 to 29. And we'll also be reading it in the New Living Translation. So it says this. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay and make one jar for decoration and throw another into the garbage? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter, on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory, and we were among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who are not my people I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called the children of the living God. And concerning Israel, the Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand on the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. So some people read this part and they get really mad and they start asking questions like, Well, if God is sovereign and good and just, then why is there so much pain, suffering and everything like that in the world? And why do the innocent suffer while the evil and the rich people sometimes go free? Because I don't want to hear about that. And I believe that God is actually evil. And they start saying more and more stuff along those lines. And as we've been covering through this whole Roman study, much of people's pain and suffering is a direct or an indirect result of their own poor choices and their wicked actions and their own willful irresponsibility. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 15 actually says, 
Sound judgment is praised, but people without a good sense are on their way for disaster. But as for the people who are quote-unquote innocent, I would point you in the direction of John chapter 9 and the disciples who were asking Jesus, okay, well, who had sinned? Was it the blind man or his parents? Because this blind man was born blind. And he corrected them by saying, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the blind man's blindness wasn't even a result of sin, but rather God had a higher purpose for the suffering, which for some people, they might hear that and they say that's a pretty good cause of of saying that God is actually evil. But also in another part of the Bible, Luke 13, Jesus is commenting on the deaths of people who had died in, in a freak accident. And he says this in verses four to five. Do you think they were worse than everyone else in Jerusalem? Not at all. But you can be sure that if you don't turn back to God, every one of you will also die. So Jesus here is emphasizing that we live in a world full of sin and brokenness and we have to deal with the consequences of that. And therefore, everyone needs to change their minds and hearts and ultimately repent. But also the concept of being innocent or the innocent, it's not even really in the Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, with that verse in mind, there is no one who is innocent in the sense of being sinless. We were all born with a sinful nature, which we inherited from Adam. And so sin affects and saturates everything. And that's the reality that we all need to understand is that we live in a fallen world. And so all of the world suffers as a result. And it's absolutely tragic. It absolutely breaks God's heart. But the point that these people also seem to be missing is that God doesn't just leave us here to suffer pointlessly. Yes, the innocent can suffer and it's really heartbreaking, but ultimately God can redeem that suffering. God is the one who is loving and merciful and his plan to use that suffering to accomplish his good purpose is always good. And he does this in three different ways. First of all, he can use the pain and suffering to draw us near to himself so that we learn to cling to him during all times, not just the good times or the bad times, but equally both. But also when we are partnered with Jesus, we have an anchor that holds us still in all the storms of life. But how will we know if the anchor works if we never sail into the storm? Second of all, he proves to us that our faith is real through the suffering and pain that are unavoidable in this life, which is exactly what I was just saying. So how we respond to suffering, especially in in this circumstance, is determined by the genuineness of our faith. So those who have faith in Jesus will not be crushed by suffering, but they will actually come out the other side of the hard times with their faith intact because they have been the ones who have been tested by fire so that it may be, quote, be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So real, genuine, faithful Christians don't angrily curse God or shake their fists at him, but instead they consider it pure joy knowing that hard times are times where they get to prove that they are real children of God. And James chapter 1 verse 12 says, God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. He will reward you with a glorious life, just as he rewards everyone who loves him. And then finally, the Bible continually tells us to not get caught up in the things of this world, but to actually look forward to heaven and to the things that are going to come in the future. But our time here on earth is a second compared to the eternity that's going to happen after we die. And it's God's kingdom that will last forever, not this earth, not not our reality, like none of this will last forever. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world in John chapter 18, verse 36. And so those who follow him do not see the things of this life, good or bad, as the end of the story. So even with the sufferings that we have to endure and as terrible as they are, I'm not trying to sweep that under the rug. 
Just like Romans chapter 8, 18 says, they are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So anyway, let's get right back into the text really quickly. So like what Paul says here in verse 20, who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Because yes, seriously, where do people get the audacity sometimes? The Bible uses a metaphor in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 9, and it says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? Because ultimately God is wiser than we are and we look like absolute fools to question his will or to resist it. And although we do have feelings, intellect, willpower, free will, we can resist God if we choose to do so. But God is ultimately in control and he chose your genetic structure, the time in which you're going to be on earth and the place of your birth and your parents and and so on, because certain matters are just in the hands of God. We can't do anything about it. And then in the rest of the text, Paul brings up past prophecies. And why does he do this? Paul does this to prove that it wasn't unfair and it wasn't unjust in saving some people and then judging other people because he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies from long, long ago. And he would not only be unjust if he didn't keep his word, but he would only be unjust if he didn't keep his word and not the opposite. Again, Israel's rejection had not cancelled God's election and it had only proved that he was true to his character and to his purposes. And that's where I want to leave it today. I hope I gave you a lot to think about. Yeah, I just, I really hope that you enjoyed the episode. I hope you like what we went through. And in the next episode, we'll be covering God's last attribute, which is mentioned in this section, and that is God's grace. So anyway, I hope you have a really great day and I hope I'll see you next time. Bye everyone.